Hey guys, sports betting season is in full force. NHL and NBA playoffs, we enjoyed those, and now football season is here. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MYBETUS. US, you can receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. No matter what the season, BetUS has all the games, NBA, NHL, team, player props, loads of NFL and college plays, whether futures or individual game odds. You can bet UFC matches and props, PGA golf, golf and round matchups and live betting on most sports including golf. The online casino has hundreds of games and the race book has all your horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable and the Sharp Bet US mobile platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my lead and partner with a sports betting company with integrity and longevity like I did. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. Bet US. In the South, it's always college football season, and the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. A little bit of a different voice than Chuck, but still part of the Chuck Oliver show. So that's got to count for something, right? At least I think so. It's Dan Matthews, executive producer of the show. Chuck, taking a little me time today. It's a, uh, what's it, uh, DNP, coach's decision, or in this case, it's a load management. So we'll call it load management with the NBA starting up. We can kind of mold the two, right? just for a second and Chuck uh, just uh, taking a little bit of a breather like I said you know last time he's uh, at the end of the bench he's got the suit on he's still here with the team but uh, today uh, just uh, taking a little breather from the action I don't think we give Jimbo Fisher enough credit and I'm going to tell you why here in just a few seconds but also too want to let you know what we have coming up on the show today Uh, bottom of this hour it's a Tuesday so you know what that means Bar Tuesday, so that means day bar two, college football matrix. Bottom of this hour, we're going to be talking everything because this is the time of year when Mar- when our guy uh, day bar two gets really busy, and uh, he is in high demand uh, with uh, all of the uh, coaching searches. And uh, recruiting is coming down to the wire, so people need those numbers on that as well. And uh, also, too, with coaching searches means support staff and other coaches and transfers and all these different types of things that come with this time of the year. Because I think as we've seen with the early signing period over the last few years, that coaches are being let known their fate a lot earlier and athletic departments are saying yeah let's go ahead and start our search now because all real goals for them are to make sure that once they get to December their coach is in place and they can at least make that last ditch effort for the guys that they have already committed that wanted to see who's going to be there and be able to get out there on the road and tell them hey 
stick and stay, stick around. I know that you committed to the school. You really wanted to be at SY, you know, whatever this school is. And in this case, stick around and be here with me. And some of them will say, okay, coach, yeah, I'll do that. And others will say, "Mm, yeah, I don't think so. I think I'm going to go with my second or third choice that I had. That was not this school because I feel like those still fit me much more than you fit me. And that's going to happen. I don't don't think as a fan base you can worry about that because you are going to have decommitments when there is a coaching change. You are going to have transfers. And also, too, you're going to have people who give your program a chance because of said new coach. So all those things are in play Nothing lasts forever, but it doesn't mean it doesn't change. I kind of messed that up a little bit, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, top of next hour also as well, Nick Delatori from uh, Gators Territory is going to join us. And if you think that things were bad in the bayou with Ed Ogeron and with LSU, I think that right now, unless things change within that program, it could be the beginning of the end of the current incarnation down in Gainesville. Because I just think what I'm seeing right now is a lifeless, listless football team on the field. I mean, to go into Baton Rouge in an environment on Saturday afternoon that was not supposed to be an intimidating atmosphere. And you weren't intimidated. That wasn't the issue. It was the 321 yards on the ground. It was the 49 points put up on you. It was losing to a football team of a coach who we would find out 24 hours later knew before the game that he was no longer going to be the head coach of this team come the end of the season and was a lame duck and was a program that had just gotten absolutely rolled the week before by Kentucky, had gotten beaten by an Auburn team that they weren't supposed to lose to, and it lost earlier in the season to a UCLA team that is not who we necessarily thought they were at the time. So things are not good in Gainesville. So we're going to get the uh, gauge of the temperature down there in Florida and find out what is happening with the state's university. And then uh, also as well, uh, bottom of next hour, Olin Buchanan. Things are a little bit better in College Station, but a couple of weeks ago they weren't necessarily the case. So we will talk uh, Jimbo and more with Olin Buchanan of Texags.com. So all of those and more coming your way right here on the show. But I started by mentioning about Jimbo Fisher and how we don't give him enough credit for what he does best. That's coaching quarterbacks. Just look at the history of what he has done when he was at LSU. I mean, he had offenses that were not the best, but still they were capable enough, and he helped them win a national title there, so that's got to be said for something. And also, too, it got the moniker from Nick Saban of being he's probably one of the best, if not the best, offensive play caller that I've ever been around. Well, this just in, Nick Saban's had some pretty good coaches with him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But coaching quarterbacks is what he does best. Let's take it back to Florida State. 2013, guy named Jameis Winston, redshirt freshman, uh, first year as a starting quarterback there at at, uh, Florida State, goes on the road to Pitt, wins huge that night. And I remember a buddy of mine texting me and saying, this guy looks like a Heisman Trophy winner. And I said, first game of the season, let's calm down. But eventually that was the case because they ran the table. They go to Pasadena, they beat Auburn for the national title, and Jameis Winston was a huge reason why they won that national title. So after Jameis left, they had to find a successor. They tried to bring in Everett Golson. That didn't necessarily work out. So then it became the Sean McGuire show. And Sean McGuire, I don't think I'm casting any aspersions here. Good enough quarterback. Wasn't Jameis Winston. Wasn't good enough to lead this team to a national title. But Jimbo Fisher made him good enough to be able to lead this team to a New Year's Six Bowl game. They eventually lost to Houston that year. But still, Sean McGuire probably had no business 
being a quarterback that could lead them to a New Year's Six Bowl game. You would think that probably with a drop-off like that at the position that you're probably looking at a guy who eventually would lead the team to, I don't know, the Champs Sports Bowl, the Gator Bowl, whatever else the ACC plays in that's a lesser-tier bowl game than a New Year's Six Bowl game. But still, he made him into a capable quarterback. Then he gets to A&M. And I actually think that he did help Kellen Mond become a decent quarterback. Was it the quarterback that people thought he was going to be when he got there with Kevin Sumlin? Probably not. But also, too, he made him into an effective passer. Inconsistent at times, I will give you that. But at least made him into somebody that could effectively stretch the field and eventually got himself an NFL job. Not a lot of people do that. There are a lot of people who get to college, don't necessarily get better, and find their way to the next level either as an undrafted free agent or find their way onto a practice squad, and in a couple years they're out of the league. Either way, that's better than most of us would ever even dream of having as a football career. But still, Jimbo Fisher helped him in that. But now, when you take a look at what he's done with Zach Calzada over the last few weeks, Zach Calzada took over as the starting quarterback against... Uh, Well, he came in in relief against Colorado and completed just 47% of his passes. Not great. 18-38 that day, 183 yards. Throws a touchdown, helps them win that game. They barely get out of there with a win, and people are starting to wonder about this A&M team. And then they thought, well, if this guy's the quarterback, wow, it could be a long season here when we thought that Maybe even an SEC West title was a possibility and maybe even a chance to crash into the final four of the college football playoff was a possibility here. But then the following week, a little bit better, 19 of 33, uh, 58%, 275 yards, three touchdowns, interception against New Mexico. And you say, okay, Dan, it's New Mexico. Still, it's better. Then the following week against Arkansas, not that great, 20 of 36, 55%. Okay, not great. 10 of 20 the following week, 60%. 135. Okay, not great. Then we get the performance we have against Alabama, which had people saying, that's what we were hoping for out of this guy. Because remember, too, Calzada came to A&M, where in his home state of Georgia, the day of signing day, it was coming out that Georgia was reaching out to him and saying, hey, we want you here now. We need you here now, as a matter of fact. And they eventually went with a quarterback whose name is escaping me right now, but ended up at Temple as their quarterback. I'll find that name here for just a second. But the point is that he was a guy that if you've got programs like that still reaching out to you is a quarterback that they believe eventually could develop into somebody that makes a difference for them on the field. And Calzada gets there, loses out on the job to Haynes King. Dewan Mathis, by the way, was the quarterback's name. Just looked it up really quick. But he ended up losing the job to Haynes King, but now has the job and goes out there against Alabama. And people could say what they want about Alabama's defense. Oh, not great. That's an Alabama defense that I saw last week against a not all that great Mississippi State team, but still a good enough Mississippi State team who, by the way, beat this A&M team and has beaten teams in the SEC in the past couple of years. So they're still a good SEC program. They're not great. They're not excellent. They're not any of those things. I get all that. But still, a good enough uh, Mississippi State team. And they sacked their quarterback seven times, turned him over three times on interceptions. Still, that's a good Alabama defense. 
Is it what we've seen in the past of this uh, of of Alabama defenses? No, probably not. And it's on your home field, but still, there's a reason why not a lot of people beat Alabama during the regular season is because they're excellent, they're elite, they're still a very good program. And if they're not as good as other not as good as other teams they've had in the past, okay, fine, we can have that argument. But for right now. Nick Saban still has a very good football team that is probably going to finish the season 11-1 and probably going to be playing against Georgia in the SEC championship game. And he proceeds to go out there and complete 21 of 31 passes for 285 yards, does throw an interception in that game, which usually that's the kiss of death when you do that against Alabama. But in this case, it wasn't. And three touchdowns, 67.7%. Last week, not all that great, but still... They eventually just relied on their running attack in the 35-14 win over Missouri with Devin Achain and Isaiah Spiller, who I'm going to talk about with Olin Buchanan and what they've meant to him here a little bit later on. But the point is, those numbers that I gave you, I'm seeing uptrends and a little bit of a down last week with 52% of his passes completed. But still, I'm seeing uptrends. That's coaching. That's development. That's taking what is your strength as a head coach and making the most of it. And that's what Jimbo Fisher does. And you see him, too, when his quarterbacks get on the sidelines. I mean, if Calzada, if he misses a read, whatever it is, Jimbo's the first guy there to let him know. So you brought him to A&M to be able to develop this position because really, I get it, Johnny Manziel, Heisman Trophy winner, all those things. But still, him aside, This has been a problem for this program for some time. They have not had a quarterback good enough to be able to lead them to large success. They've had pockets here and there, but for the most part, they have not had what they had hoped for as a program. And I get it now, too, that there is a possibility that they lose another game or two this year. And if they go 8-4 and and go play in the Gator Bowl, then people are going to say, oh, disappointment, it's terrible, it's not what this program's supposed to be, blah, 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 $9 million a year, Jimbo, the hell are you doing? He's raised the profile of this program in recruiting. He's made this program into somebody that is talked about on the national profile, and he has players and coaches and support staff that are going to be what takes this program going forward. So I get it, it's year four, and you're thinking to yourself, if you're an A&M fan, well, we're supposed to be doing better than losing a disappointing game at home in the Mississippi State or losing to Arkansas, who now has lost three straight. But also, though, too, I think that you need to see where you are right now as opposed to where you were before. At the quarterback position, you were dead in the water. As a program, you didn't have these hopes. You had only really hoped on a prayer that you could be able to be in a New Year's Six Bowl game and have a chance to go for the SEC West title and have a chance to be able to someday put yourself in position to make the college football playoff. It's better to have Jimbo leading that way than to not have him there. And I don't think that there's anybody that doesn't want to have him there. But I will say this. I think that there is something to be said about the job that he's done in leading them back from where they were at a point this season. And that's development. That's coaching. And that's knowing your strength is who you are at leading quarterbacks. So good for him. All right, coming up next, the SEC has done something that this program needs to do even more of to help themselves. That's next right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. It's Dan Matthews in for Chuck right here at Southern Sports Today. to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. To see our student body rush down and feel the, the bottom part of the section, the remainder of our crowd to be amped up for the final 
final minute of play. Like that's the takeaway. And I know for some guys, uh, for some people, the, the story is what happened in our administration has obviously made it clear that that's not the stance and, and what we want from uh, the volunteer spirit. Josh Heupel, Tennessee coach and coach. That's not the takeaway. And it's not even close to being the takeaway. I appreciate all that. And I haven't heard the full audio from Josh Heupel. So I'm not going to come down on him too hard in terms of trying to gloss over what had happened, because I'm sure that he probably did say, yeah, Hey, that's not tolerated. That's not going to be what we expect of our fans. Not going to be what we expect of our program, all those different types of things. I'm sure he's said all that. Again, it's in the moment right now. I don't have a chance to go listen to it or know it. So I'm just going to go off what I know. And you have to pretty much say that Saturday night was an embarrassment. And for those of you that have not seen it yet, there was the play at the end of the game um, in the final minute of the game. Tennessee got the football back, by the way, and had an opportunity to still take a shot for the end zone and complete, lose the game, 31-26, all that different types of stuff. But there was a fourth and 24. Hendon Hooker completes a pass. The receiver ruled short of the first down, which of the look that I saw and most people saw has been pretty much majority determined that the referees made a good call on the field. They were short of the first down, and it is a turnover on downs. Well, of course, the crowd did not like this, started throwing bottles. The SEC has fined as a Tennessee uh, $250,000. And also, too, through video, apparently police are starting to find some of the idiots who were doing this. And last night when me and Chris Landry were recording the SEC Football and Beyond uh, podcast, there was somebody who asked us a question during our mailbag segment and asked, is this also part of the boiling over that fans have with how bad SEC officiating is? It's not the way to handle it. It's not the way to handle it that somebody there at the game who probably took, I don't know, their two little kids to the game, sitting third or fourth row down there, and some idiot doesn't like the call, so they throw a full Dasani bottle and smokes one of their little kids in the face and hurts them. What did they do to deserve what you think is the punishment for a bad call on the field, what you deem to be a bad call on the field? Do you think that they deserve that? you think that somebody else deserves to be hit? you think that Lane Kiffin, even though I, I, I get the history that you think you have with him, you think that they deserve to be hit with a golf ball or anybody else hit with things and, and deserve to be hurt? So that's how you want to handle it? where, as Chuck pointed out yesterday, your own band and cheerleaders had to evacuate the field because it wasn't safe for them. And then it's one of these, oh, well, our students came down for that final play, all these different types of things. No, coach, it was an embarrassment. It was an absolute embarrassment for the university that just honestly, if I'm Danny White, the athletic director, I'm in front of a podium as soon as possible saying, this happens again, we're taking away the booze, which the SEC will get into that in three, CFB 365, has brought something up about that. And also, too, if something like this persists again, then guess what? None of you getting inside Neyland Stadium for a home game. Because we'll make it really clear, this ain't going to be tolerated about here. Day Bar 2 next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. 
If it's a Tuesday, you know what we do around here. It is a bar Tuesday. Well, usually Chuck sits in this seat. I sit behind the glass. But today, I'm in front of the glass, and Chuck is not here. But the one thing that doesn't change, the one constant, Ray, in this case, is not baseball. It's day bar two of college football matrix. Uh, Dave, uh, how's that for an intro? I, I think that was pretty decent, huh? Not too bad, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, and the other constant is me live from my mom's basement, man. So I am ready to rip today. There you go. Exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. Everybody who has uh, some sort of opinion that uh, somebody doesn't agree with, oh, well, you know, how many followers do you have? Well, it doesn't mean that you're right. So that's that's all those uh, all those different things. But, Dave, you're always right, at least in my book. Um, the uh, LSU job, it's now officially open. We knew it was going to be. Just needed the official announcement. So I guess the simple broad view question is how good of a job is this top five recruiter this century so i mean it's a it's a walking potential national championship is the way i see it so um you know a lot of people say well you know it's it's not alabama it's not georgia i think alabama is going to be the worst job in the world when saban leaves because who's going to want to replace that he might as well just give the guy his four-year check and call it good because that's going to be the biggest pressure cooker of all time but with lsu um like i said sky's the limit uh, this is a program that I don't think they've had a recruiting class worse than 10 in the last 20 years, and uh, it is it is always ready to go. Hell, dude, Ed Orgeron won a national championship at LSU. That's how much potential is there. Ed Orgeron won one. So um, I, I think it's a fantastic job. And well, I'm curious where, which direction Woodward's going to go with this thing um, because it's the biggest job of it. Well, USC is a pretty, pretty nice job too. Not as much pressure, pretty close to equal potential, but it's going to take a lot longer to grow it uh, where LSU, I think, is a little bit more ready to go. So um, Scott should be able to have his choice of whoever he wants to try to pull in this year uh, for the LSU job. Built into what you just talked about right there with it being a recruiting hotspot, and we've heard Kirby Smart say it, it's the lifeblood of this program. It's got to be what makes this program what it is, and I think that most great programs feel the same way. What does LSU need out of their next coach? Because where I'm going with this, Dave, is I've always been told, for example, in the NFL level, if you fire yeah. if you fire a player's coach, you got to bring in a hard ass. At least that's what John McClain of the Houston Chronicle told me a few years ago. And if you fire the hard ass, then you got to bring in a player's coach. So what does LSU need? I guess in this case, that's the anti what they have right now. I, well, anti what they have right now is probably a <laughs> – well, look, I mean, look, I know Ed won a national title, but let's make no bones about it. His three-year stint at Ole Miss was one of the worst three years of head coaching we've seen in the SEC in the last 20 years. Uh, and LSU right now is, well, offensively terrible, defensively decent, or maybe it's the other way around, depending on – I can't remember what I was looking at the numbers this morning. But I don't know. I mean, is, is Ed considered a player's coach? You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how you view Ed, you know, because I, I just look at the numbers. I, I'm not on the ground. I'm not in Baton Rouge. I don't know what the program needs. Ultimately, that's Woodward's call, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Woodward's going to have to decide. For me, it is always about whoever you hire, who does he bring with you? I'm a huge proponent of offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coach. 
Those are your three field position coaches. <clears throat> That's what wins and loses football games. Okay, so if you're bringing a CEO like a, like an Ed Orgeron, okay, because that's what, exactly what it was. He hired all of his coordinators, didn't call a dang play, still has never called a play in his life. And so when you bring that guy in, I am always looking at what is the staff that's coming with this guy. And I am assuming that whoever shows up is going to have head coaching experience. Um, and if not, it's somebody that was elite as an offense or defensive coordinator. So that that's really where that's usually my first step when I look at a coaching staff that that is being hired. I don't look at the head coach so much as wait until you see those position coaches, those field position coaches. Uh, once those are in place, then I think we can start judging what any program, LSU or anybody else, has or has not. Dave Bartu, uh, College Football Matrix. Get at him on Twitter at CFB Matrix. He'll write you back there on Twitter. He'll also hit you up if uh, you shoot him a text because Dave, as Chuck always brings up with you at the end of the uh, segments that we always do with you, we know that you throw out the number. We know that people text you and we know that you text them back and and answer their questions. So for that, we all appreciate it. Um, Let's uh, go ahead. I am uh, LSU board of trustee. I am uh, the, you know, with the president's office. I I am with somebody there that is going to be involved with making this decision with Scott Woodard. And I enlist, Dave Bartu of College Football Matrix and ask them for a name because we've seen names. We've seen Lane Kiffin. We've seen Dave Aranda. We've seen even will Joe Brady come back from the NFL and be a head coach there. All the names that that have been thrown out there. Mel Tucker, the name goes on. But uh, who's a name that maybe you think they should be considering that maybe is not being thrown out there just yet? It hasn't been thrown out. Gosh, man, I have seen every name under the sun. Uh, possible for for that job. Okay, yeah, I, I, that, that's fair. Be, that's that's fair. I mean, I, that'd be putting right? you kind I mean, of on I, the spot. I, yeah, I, I've seen it all. But but let let's let's talk about who they who they can hire. And it's not just LSU. This is this is kind of a temp for everybody listening. This is kind of a template uh, when you're looking at a job opening and no nobody ever talks about this because it doesn't create clicks it's not sexy and and nobody really wants to hear it but here is one of the biggest realities of hiring a head coach and that is safety for the athletic director Safety for the athletic director. Okay, I, I always I always use the analogy of how big is the athletic director's pile of chips. Okay, and and what I mean by that is how long has he been there? How much pull does he have? Okay, um, Jeremy Foley at Florida. Right was there forever, highly respected. He could have hired Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch uh, instead of Jim McElwing. Went zero and forty eight, and People would have been pissed, but he'd still have his job. Right. Okay. The You know, Jeremy leaves. Scott Strickland comes in. His pile of chips, he got no chips. Mm. Right? So you can't you can't take a risk. You know, by, at, at that time, like, for example, Scott Frost was the sexy hire. But we didn't know what the floor was for Scott Frost. So you can't take that risk because if it backfires – you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, so so you have to, and, and a lot of people say, well, that's not what it's about. BS. That is almost exactly what it's about because put yourself in their, in their shoes, okay? An athletic director in the SEC is making, what, $100,000 a month? 
<laughs> you can't convince me for a second that hiring a head football coach isn't impacted, isn't thinking about, can I keep that $100,000 a month automatic deposit coming? You know, so when you look at Scott Woodward or you look at the AD at USC or you look at the AD at Southern, uh, Georgia Southern or any of these jobs that come open, take a step back, understand that they're trying to protect their job as well. And they maybe can't take risks that the armchair fan can. So when we're looking at LSU, what risk is good for Woodward? What, what's, you know, I, I, the guys I'd put at the top of the list are guys that he's comfortable with and guys that the fans would love, even if it was high risk, like Joe Brady, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what LSU fan is going to poo-poo Joe Brady? Everybody's going to be stoked about it. So even if Joe Brady falls on his face, guess what? AD still has a job. Okay? Dave Aranda. Everybody loves Dave Aranda. Help win him a national title. If Dave Aranda doesn't work at LSU guess what? AD still has a job, you know? So, and and if it's not somebody the fans don't love, if that's not available, then you'll see them also gravitate towards comfort. You know, Woodward knows Brady. Woodward knows Aranda. Uh, At USC, the AD there knows Luke Fickle because he hired him at Cincinnati. So when people ask me about USC, Luke Fickle's got to be number one on the board because that's comfortable. He's the, the AD is comfortable with that guy. So, all these jobs, and there's going to be a ton of them this year. There's probably going to be more job open than guys that are qualified to even fill it. Mm. Always take a step back and look at it from the AD's perspective and their job. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, it's especially, too, I mean, to to your point, I, I think that if nothing else, Dave, I think it's fair to say that you get one, right? Like if you're an AD, you get one foul up. If you foul it up again, then it's a – we can't trust you to get this right a third time, right? I mean, it's kind of like in the NFL with a general manager that's that's under fire. It's, you know, hey, you had a couple of bad draft classes. This team went 4-12. and 12. All right, well, have a really good one. And if you don't, then it's time to move on to somebody else. So I, I think to your point, that's kind of fair. I, 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 I still lean toward a pile of chips, okay? I still lean toward the because, well, let me give you an example, okay? Please, yeah. Ray Tanner at South Carolina. Ray Tanner at South Carolina. We all knew that Will Champ was horrible at Florida. And, and, and the numbers say if you're going to be bad at one place, you're going to be bad at the next. And he was worse at South Carolina. Now, Ray Tanner went out and hired Shane Beamer. No head coaching experience to run a top 20 recruiter program. Okay? Now, if Shane Beamer falls on his face, Ray Tanner's pile of chips is so dang big, it doesn't matter. At least, and now, I get it in the NFL. What have you done for me lately? But in college football, I really believe in that pile of chips. And the bigger one you have, the bigger risk you can take when you're hiring and firing guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, One final one before we flip it over to the uh, next segment. Lane Kiffin, the whole shebang, top to bottom. How good of a coach is he? Uh, I think before FAU – uh, the numbers didn't like him at all. I actually thought he did a really good job at FAU. The offense was good. The defense was good. He lost some coaches. The efficiency stayed there. Uh, FAU's recruiting was at a three-year high when he left. Uh, by far the best job he did. Okay, uh, You go to Ole Miss now, and the offense has been very good. Top 20 in scoring efficiency. Defense is bottom 30 in scoring efficiency. Defense is terrible. Um, I don't know about the recruiting because he hasn't been there long enough. And the question is with the offense is how much of this is Matt Corral and the NFL wide receivers he has. So I know Lane has been brought up a lot for LSU. And I can almost guarantee you with Matt Corral leaving and all these other guys leaving and the defense he has, if LSU offers, boom, 
he's gone uh. because I don't think he's going to be want to be stuck with the next two, three years at Ole Miss compared to the first two years that he inherited. Uh, so I think he'd be gone in a heartbeat. But in terms of evaluating him at Ole Miss, he hasn't been there long enough. I want to see some coaching turnover. I want to see some player turnover. I want to see some recruiting. I think we're two years away from really trying to figure out what Lane's body of work is at Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, and I guess if nothing else, it kind of fits the criteria of what I've talked about with coordinators at LSU, where it's that's not a job for you to learn on the job. And luckily for Lane, at least other places, he's had a chance to learn on the job. And his most recent one right now, it's looking pretty good. So we'll see if indeed uh, it does shake out that way. All right, coming up next with uh, Dave uh, Bartu of College Football Matrix. want to get into a little bit of a national look because I think one program out there, in, for example, is not being talked about enough. And I want to get Dave's perspective on them. It's Tuesdays with Dave Bartu right here on the Chuck Oliver Show. Dan Matthews in for Chuck right here on Southern Sports Today. The Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. We do it every Tuesday. You get two segments with Bar Two. Dave Bar Two, College Football Matrix. Uh, Dave, uh, let's jump right back into it. I don't want to bury the lead. You know, as I said, we usually do it in the second segment. Uh, throw out that phone number. I mean, I you know we we want we want fans getting at you, especially the ones uh, that are listening to us on our great affiliate in Baton Rouge, ESPN 104.5. The Matrix text line, huh? It's uh, 971-217-8419. Um, and if, uh, if, you, if anybody listening happens to text me and I don't get back to you, uh, I apologize. Hit me again. I sometimes miss them uh, as I, I get a bunch of them, but I try to get back to everybody when I can. Yeah, no, trust me. I, I get that all the time. As a matter of fact, I looked at my phone the other day and I saw 85 in the red number. And I was like, ooh, yeah, I probably need to start looking at these. So I feel that pain, Dave. I feel it. I feel it. All right. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State, a huge win over the weekend. And Mike Gundy's team is 6-0 and as we look at the Big 12 here for just a second. Are we, uh, are, are, are we seeing a team that could probably cause some issues for others? I, I, by the numbers, no. You know, I mean, you look you look at their numbers. Their scoring efficiency isn't even on offense. Isn't even top fifty in the country. Uh, defensive scoring efficiency top thirty. You know, I mean, there, there's nothing that jumps out. I mean, if you if you look at their numbers and then you look at the same numbers of the teams around them, you're thinking Oklahoma State is mm, probably four and two, uh, maybe four and three, five and two at best. Uh, and, and, and a good team, solid, tough to beat, strong defensively, but undefeated? Gosh, no, not at all. And, and I'm not saying they're a fraud, you know, because that's what a lot of people say. Well, they're just a fraud, you know. <laughs> no, they're just winning a lot of close football games. You know, they, they're, they're getting lucky, uh, I would say, in, in some instances, but better to be lucky than good sometimes. Uh, and so I think the beneficiary of this, though, is Oklahoma. Or it may be Oklahoma State, because if you look right now, there are really only three conferences uh, that dominate the top 25, SEC, Big 12, Big 10. Okay, So with the, with the playoff committee, top 25 wins, 
Now, a top 25 win only counts if the team is in the top 25 on the playoff committee's last week, second to last week of voting. Okay, that's the top 25 team. Everything else doesn't count. So right now, the SEC, the Big 12, Big 10 is setting itself up for those teams to get into the playoffs. So Oklahoma State, yeah, they're, they're trying to win their way in, but they're also helping set up the favorite, which is Oklahoma, to beat them and get a quality win and a top 25 win. So, um, you know, Oklahoma State, even though the numbers aren't there to support them being a top 10 team, the record obviously is, but you look long-term, their run is going to either really benefit themselves or really benefit somebody else in the conference. Yeah, speaking of Bedlam with uh, the other part in the state in Oklahoma, the Sooners, finally look like they found their quarterback, Caleb Williams. I mean, coming on strong against Texas, a huge game last week against TCU. What changes the profile of this Oklahoma team now with him at the helm as the quarterback as opposed to Spencer Rattler? Uh, I didn't even know they made a change. <laughs> I look. I mean, it, 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 was it was it recent? I mean, it's got to be what, what week and a half. Weeks, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, se- second half of the Texas game, and then last week gets the start against TCU. Well, that might explain their jump in in offensive scoring efficiency into the top three in the last uh, in the last few weeks. I mean, this was a top twenty in scoring efficiency uh, in, in the first first three four weeks of the season. Um, so it, it was it was still really good, and it just sounded like to me people were just getting a little bit over their skis because Oklahoma wasn't just beating the ever living crap out of everybody offensively, and it's really hard to do that year after year. Ask Dabo how hard it is to keep up with the Joneses um you know we, we all eventually stumble that's the beauty of college football we don't know what we're going to get until we get into the season so you know Oklahoma right now they are I believe they are third this week in total team scoring efficiency the winner of the national title game for the last 21 years every year this century has finished the regular season in my top three of offense or defensive scoring efficiency. So in my opinion, Oklahoma is in the driver's seat uh, as the big 12s contender for a playoff spot. And that offense is getting itself to the point where it's a national title contender as well. The other conference that you mentioned in terms of the top three this year, the big 10 is Ohio state, their only chance. No, um, I, if I was betting right now, I think I would bet Ohio State and Michigan to get in uh, over Georgia, Alabama. Wow! And, and I know that sounds—I know that sounds crazy, but he, 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 hear me out on this one. Please, is um, it's it's a numbers game. A lot of people don't want to understand this, but the playoff committee, their behavior has been exactly the same every year. How they rank their teams is exactly the same every year. We've predicted it correctly in order every single year because Hancock laid out the ranking rules. People just don't want to understand it. They listen to the speak of the chairman of the playoff committee. That's what changes. The narrative always changes, but how they rank these teams never does. Okay, and so so my concern with a Georgia and in Alabama is those top 25 wins. How many top 25 wins are they really going to get? Because you look at the the SEC East, Florida may or may not finish top 25. Okay, Tennessee won't, Missouri won't, 
Um, Vanderbilt won't. South Carolina won't. Um, Kentucky's good, but offensively weak. They have a really tough finishing schedule. So does Ole Miss. Mm. You know, how many top 25 wins are there in the SEC going to be at the end of the year? Now, because they have so many teams, because they have 14 teams and they only have eight conference games, their odds of having top 25 teams is the best in the country. But I'm still concerned about that. And then you go over to look at the Big Ten. You got Michigan State in the top 25. You got Michigan. You got Penn State. You got Ohio State. You got Iowa. Um, Purdue's there right now. So there is a lot of opportunity for top 25 wins in the Big Ten. Uh, so to me, it's, it's, it's five teams looking for four spots. It's the winner of the Big 12, and I'll take Oklahoma right now because their numbers are better than anybody else. you got Alabama, Georgia. I'll take Georgia over Alabama right now because their numbers are, are better. Mm-hmm. And you have Ohio State, Michigan, and obviously Michigan State and Penn State are, are – or Penn, Penn State isn't in the mix. Penn State's top 25. Yeah. But Michigan State's still in the mix. I, I just – I got this feeling that that four and five spot is going to come down to – uh, Michigan versus Alabama. Real quick, I got about uh, 30 seconds, Dave. Throw out the number really fast. Oh, we'll, we'll hit it again. The text line 971 217 8419. Questions, comments, and be nice. I don't need crappy stuff in my day. No, we nobody does, Dave. Uh, of course, <laughs> we, we only want nice <laughs> and, things. And I've, never got, I've never got one from a Chuck Oliver listener. Well, let's, 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 let's not. Encouraging. And everybody who's texted me, if I didn't get back to you, I'm sorry. And those who have, I love you. Thank you very much for the encouragement. Dave, we love you, too, and we love our listeners as well. Dave Bartu, College Football Matrix. Talk to you next week, buddy. Peace, brother. He's the best. He's the best for a reason. And for everything that he just laid out right there, it's something that I think every single week we have him on, huh, didn't think about that.